podcasts are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV management or any of their advertisers. It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. It's Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Unglesby with you, along with Damon Cotton, and of course, my co-host in crime, Tom Barton, Sports Zone, Tom Barton, and Tommy the Tex. We're rolling in today about, was I watching the Masters? I had to uh, say no. I hadn't watched it any of the four days. I was busy watching Major League Baseball. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you know, I'll, I'll peek at the Masters uh, here and there. I'm not a huge golf fan, but, you know, I got to peek in. You got to take a look here and there. But basically, that, that was that was kind of my weekend as well. Now, I did watch quite a bit of hockey, um, like I said, uh, you know, on Friday night. I got real Friday night and a little bit on Saturday. But basically, it was a baseball weekend for me. And, and that's kind of what it's going to be here is going to be baseball uh, most of the time. Uh, baseball is going to dominate baseball right now. As the, the seasons kind of come to a look, the NBA you can never watch anyway. Um, the NHL, as the season comes to an end, I expect it to be a little less entertaining. So, you know, your focus moves on to baseball, and I'm okay with that, Tim. Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. And, of course, and of course, you're right. You're right. NBA, NBA unwatchable. unwatchable. Hockey, Hockey will, will rev, up rev up once the playoffs start, start again. again. And, uh, you know, look, you know, look the, NFL the NFL draft's coming in two in two weeks, weeks so, that, so that'll, that'll be a little bit of a pit stop. stop but it's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's a summer, it's a summer of baseball. That's what it is. Yeah, you know, it, it's a situation where when you turn around and you look at how the, the ebbs and flows of the sports calendar is, you know, and we talk about March Madness, Tim. The reality is March Madness opening weekend one of the greatest watching weekends that you could possibly have, right? Then it, you you kind of get involved, even if you lose a little bit during the Sweet 16, maybe you lose a couple of people or a little bit of interest level during the Elite Eight, your brackets are garbage, all right. But you're going to watch the Final Four, you're going to watch the final game, um, obviously. Then to sit back and attempt to watch the college game and transition into the NBA, uh, is there a... Any kind of greater disparity in the sport? I mean, you go from college baseball to Major League Baseball, um, you still have the feel of it. A minor league baseball to, to Major League Baseball, you still have sort of the feel. It's obviously not as big, but it, it, you can move over and it's a jump up, right? I mean, it, it's a clear jump up in a watching scale. We like minor leagues. We get it. We like college baseball. But there is a massive jump up from, major league, from minor league baseball, college baseball, all the way to the pros. In football, look, we love college football. And college football sometimes puts out a better product than the NFL. But when you move over from college football to the NFL, it's a different feel. It feels better. It feels more professional. It feels the exact way it should. I've watched college hockey moving over to the NHL. It's a different feel. Everything is elevated. You move from college basketball to the NBA, everything is down. It's down. It's a less watchable game. It's a less fun game. The precision, the timing, every single thing. The NBA feels like it drags. It feels like it's a very 
very, very one-sided kind of game. It's, yeah, look, they're either taking threes or, or dunking it. I mean, there's no short-range game. There's no defense being played on most nights. It is a weird kind of situation if you don't watch the NBA all the time to go from the excitement that is March Madness, the style of play that is March Madness. It's almost like they're playing two different sports. So Tommy, Tommy, you do a sports, sports betting show over the Sports, sports Guard Network. Network. So when you, so get, when the you big, get the big golf tournaments, golf tournaments there's, obviously there's obviously a lot of attention, attention put, that put that way. But you said but you yourself, said yourself you're, you're, not you're not a big golf, a big golf guy, guy like that. Do you get, do you a, lot get a lot of questions about why you don't, why you don't cover it? it? Yeah, you know what? Golf's a, go- a big betting sport, but what, what happens with golf is there's so many different avenues you could go down. What I find is that if you lock into one or two guys and you're really spread it around, you're either going to have a great tournament or you're going to have a terrible tournament. I mean, look, I gave out Brooks Kapka three times in the year that he won. Uh, what was that? Uh, two years ago, right? Um, I, I, I gave him out to win, finish in the top five, finish in the top ten, finish in the top 20. And, I, you, know, and you could have, and you know, I pick one other guy, a long shot usually. And you could have a tremendous tournament, or you could have the tournament that I had. Look, I took a shot at Fitzpatrick. Um, he wound up uh, finishing 35th, but I had him to finish inside the top 20 and inside the top 10. I took a step. I didn't go big. That was kind of my guy. Took a little shot at Dustin Johnson, you know, um, to finish inside the top five, not to necessarily win it. And that's kind of how I attack golf and me being a casual better. But I, I play lines, Tim. I saw some value uh, with the idea that uh, Dustin Johnson, who was the best player in the world at the time, look, the guy didn't make the cut, but he's the best player in the world. To win, yeah, you're only getting plus 125 back. To finish in the top five, yeah, you're all, all, only laying 125. <laughs> you know what I mean, Tim? It was one of those, oh, all right, well, he's only got to finish there. So I play the numbers. Um, weirdly, golf, I know it's bet, and it's bet very big. But in the same respect, when you turn around and you look at golf, guys already kind of have their guys, you know, and it's hard to talk somebody out of it. If you have a Mickelson guy, try to talk him out of Mickelson. You know, they're going to give you 800 reasons why he should be there. Jordan Spieth, you know, people talked about Jordan Spieth before this tournament, and every single golf guy that I knew was talking him up. Yeah, look, he didn't have a bad tournament, but he didn't win it. And then a guy like this comes out. Here's the allure of golf. The allure of golf is that you could have a long shot that me and you have to play futures plays for, right? We're looking at futures plays 20 to 1. You could do that every single weekend in golf. That's the allure of it. But you're going to get burned quite a bit, and uh, all you got to do is kind of hit that one. That's the point I was going to bring up. You play the matchups, right? You get the one-on-one matchups, but... You take a couple hundred dollars and you sprinkle it on the say the guys that are anywhere from twelve to thirty to one. All you gotta do is hit one, right, Tom, and you're doing okay. Difficulties here on Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. 
you want to join in tonight, 876-1340 over on the Heatwave Hotline, at Tom Barton Sports, at HW Sports on Twitter. And, Tom, before we were uh, disconnected, I, I just mentioned that, obviously, we can make money individual matchups in these big golf tournaments. But uh, the point I was trying to make was that if you have a couple extra hundred bucks laying around and you just sprinkle it on the mid-range favorites, I'd say 12 to 1, up to 30 to 1, Actually, you just need to hit one or two of those, and you've made money profited if you're only playing the big big tournaments. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. That, that's why golf has such the allure. Because, uh, you know, over a course of a weekend, you get the, the, the giant results that you just can't get in the game. I mean, think about it. If you had the Red Wings um, last week against Tampa Bay, even that game that nobody thought was going to win, you're only getting, what, 370, 380 back? You know, plus 370, plus 380. And that's uh, just such a ridiculous long shot. You're taking guys that have legitimate shots to win at 20 to 1. Legitimate shots to, to finish in the top five at 15 to 1. So, yeah, I mean, look, uh, the allure of golf is that truly anything can happen. You know, college basketball tries to tell us that Cinderella's happened. They don't. Uh, every sport tries to tell us anything can happen. Anybody can win. And we know that's not true. In golf, anybody can win, Tim. Yeah. So before we uh, jump back into our our look around Major League Baseball after about nine ten games, I just want to make a quick mention that last night we had talked about the early struggles of Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw. Well, Tommy, after today's game, it looked like vintage Kershaw and vintage Scherzer. You know, guys like that, I hardly worry about it. We we talked about it. You know how 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 much can you continue to doubt? certain guys. Look, is Clayton Kershaw going to win the Cy Young this year? No. Is he going to give you 200 innings? No. How about Max Scherzer? Is he going to strike out 300 guys again? Is he going to win the Cy Young? No. But they still have what it takes to get the job done. And if you took the name over their back of their jerseys and you look at their final results and their final stats over the last two or three years, even going into this year and what it's going to be, I'm going to tell you that at the end of the year, both of them are still top 20, 25 starting pitchers. Kershaw has a chance to be a top 10 starting pitcher. Scherzer maybe has an outside shot to be a top 10 starting pitcher. But they just can't be compared to themselves. Don't compare these guys to themselves, and you'll be fine. And unfortunately, us in the sports community, this is what we do. You know, we look at how a guy used to perform or compare it to somebody else. Look, just take the guy for what he is at surface value. And if I told you right now that Clayton Kershaw and these are the numbers that I think he's going to kind of wind up with. He's going to have a, a, a sub-3 ERA. He's going to win you know, 12 games or so. He'll strike out about a batter per inning. He's going to give you 150 innings. I, I think you're signing up for that for anybody not named Clayton Kershaw. Max Scherzer, same kind of thing. Max Scherzer, you know what? He's going to get you 10 to 12 wins. He's going to have a 3, 3.5 ERA. And he's going to strike out more than a batter in innings. You're going, yeah, all right, that, that's, that's a really good guy. Uh, yeah, sure, that, that could be an eight. If he's not a number one, uh, you know, he's certainly a number two, a high-end number two. Take them for what they are right now in their career, which is not the elite of the elite of the elite, but still very, very good. Well, let's just kind of stay with the National League East since we're talking about the Nats anyways. Tom Day won their uh, – Obviously had some COVID issues to open the year. They win their opening game, and then now they've dropped five in a row. Uh, your thoughts on the Nationals long-term? It's not that they've been getting uh, destroyed other than two nights ago. They just, they've been losing some close games. 
and I know you liked them before the year, and I was off of them. I am the biggest proponent that Juan Soto, to me, is probably you know the second-best player in baseball. He's right there. Trey Turner, I've been talking about for years, how immensely talented this guy is. So I like their offense, okay? I like the pieces that they have on their offense. I like their bullpen. I like putting Brad Hand back there. I have major concerns about the health of Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. Now, the names are great, and they're a dangerous one, two, three if they could get to the playoffs, but I'm not expecting Washington to have a lot of consistency this year. To me, this is going to be one of the most difficult teams to kind of tell when the thing is going to break one way or the other. I could see Washington rolling off eight in a row after losing five in a row. I mean, that's the kind of talent they have, but I do think that they are closer to a 500 team than they are for competing for an actual Eastern title. But the Marlins, a tough start, two and six on the season. Tom, I know you're big on them. Did you have them sneaking in the playoffs? I did. Um, then Sixto Sanchez got injured. But I will say this. One of the reasons why I like the Marlins is still there. Okay, And that is Sandy Alcantara looks fantastic. Uh, Lopez looks really good. Their, their one-two is fantastic. I thought Sixto would be up eh, probably to start the year, but if not, he'd be up in a couple of weeks. He's hurt now. And I, I'm rethinking the entire Marlins conversation because the idea to have a one-two-three like they have, and even a four if you want to throw Rodgers in there. Look at what Rodgers just did. You go one, two, three, four. Their starting pitching is just phenomenal. And I was hoping that their hitting would come around. And a guy like Asus Aguilar, the Starling Marte, you know, these guys would kind of put it together. I'm okay with their bullpen. I don't think it's great, but I'm okay with it. It's just, look, you know, you're a young Marlins team. They cannot afford a loss of a guy like Sixto Sanchez that very easily has the capability of winning Rookie of the Year this year, and he's, he's banged up, he's injured. You can't afford that kind of loss. If I knew Sixto wasn't starting the year, I wouldn't have jumped all in on the Marlins. I, th- I think when you look at the Marlins, Tom, you know, like you said, the, the young pitching, fabulous. Marte there, I love him in center field. But, but the lineup, you know, it's, it's young, and uh, they're going to have growing pains. Tom, I think that's what kept me off of them, putting them through the playoffs. I like Chisholm Jr. a lot. He's gonna, he's, you know, he's, he's uh, struggling with the bat right now. As you know, it happens, right? We see a lot of these younger prospects struggle. So that that was what's kept me off the Marlins uh, over the 162 game season was I just didn't see the offense being able to push them through. You know, but I've seen some sparks here. You know, Jazz Chisholm, he, he look him. He's got he's got some excitement, right? Popping one out. He's got the blue hair, stealing some bases. I mean, this thing can turn. They could grow up together, but I think they have to be together to grow up. And I'm, I, I really do believe that injury takes a toll. You can get past that if you're a, an experienced team. And you go, all right, don't worry about it. We'll see him in a month or we'll see him in two months. and He'll be all right. But when you're expecting that guy to be part of this, and remember, they all kind of grew up together. They're all kind of being pushed together. You know, he's a guy that is very well liked. They know the excitement level that he brings. For him to not be there, and then they were talking about, uh-oh, it might be arm problems, it might be this, it might be that. You could have the Alcantara's all you want. You could have the Lopez, who who's, looks fantastic all you want. Um, Trevor Rogers uh, looked look great the other day. You could have that, and that's great, but you need some kind of spark, and they need that. Maybe if the Marlins could kind of hang around, they get that spark back, but 
you know, the Sixto thing really hurt. I, look, I'm as high on anybody as Sixto Sanchez. Maybe not long-term because he's got a small body frame. Reminds me a little bit of Pedro Martinez's body frame where I don't think it's going to last long-term. But, man, if he can get things right, he could be the ace of that staff when you're putting out Cantera number two and Lopez number three. They're going to win a lot of series, Tim. If it wasn't for the Jets, the Mets would be the punching bag in New York, Tom. Two and three start, and you have a guy like DeGrom just throwing darts and not able to get a win. Your view so far of the, the other New York team. And I spoke on my show this morning um, on the Sports Garden Network. Would it be profitable to just basically go against DeGrom every single start that he goes with? <laughs> and I've yeah. started the philosophy a little bit here because I've gone against DeGrom twice. Since 2018, Tim, so let's break it down. Since 2018, the New York Mets are four games under 500. Well, now five games under 500 with Jacob DeGrom on the mound. You've got to think about it. They have 41 wins uh, with Jacob DeGrom on the mound, okay? Uh, they've won 41 games. And they're four or five games under 500 now. Think about those wins, those almost 40 wins that you're getting. Out of those 40 wins, 35 of them, they're going to be the underdogs. So you're getting plus money back. So it's not only five games over 500. You're getting plus money back. Out of those 40 wins, you've got to figure 15 of them, maybe 20 of them, are big money underdogs. You know, plus 170, plus 180, uh, maybe a plus 200 in there. The, the numbers of just basically betting against Jacob deGrom is mind-boggling, and it takes a lot of guts to do. But it has proven the results over the last three years. Three years ago on the show, me and you talked about this. I said, you know what, just blindly go against deGrom, and you would be cashing in already here. The Mets are a dysfunctional franchise. There are certain things that you can do in certain times where – you're, you're just going to have that magic wand. And look, there are just snake-bit franchises. The New York Mets are that kind of franchise. They bring in big talent. They bring in big names. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, Carlos Baerga, comes to, to town. He, you know, the Robbie Alomar syndrome comes to town. Maybe this is going to be the Lindor thing. Uh, you know, they get Michael Conforto sticking an elbow in there, and Edwin Diaz can't find a strike zone last year. I mean, they, all these weird things happen to them. The one consistent thing that they have had is Jacob deGrom. Except the one consistent thing that we know is DeGrom's going to pitch his butt off and he's going to get let down by the bullpen or the offense. Yeah, and really when you look at the Mets, especially in the pitching department, you know, Syndergaard hurt, Carrasco is hurt, Strowman, I'm not sold on him, obviously. Walker never became what we wanted him to be, Tom. And, and, you know, there's holes in that pitching staff, so they can sign Lindor for all the money they want to. Can't win if you can't get good pitching. Yeah, and not for nothing, uh, Strowman's got to keep his mouth shut. This guy's complaining constantly. I, I didn't hear about this for a lot of his career. And now all of a sudden, you know, this guy is just complaining all the time. You know, keep your mouth shut. Go out there and pitch better. And we have the, the, uh, the rest of the East. Tom, Phillies, Braves, we saw them tonight on, on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. The Phillies take two or three from Atlanta. But a uh, those are the two teams that – we both had kind of battling it out in the East. I had Washington right in the mix, too. But Phillies, Braves, your thoughts after nine games? I mean, look, the Philly bullpen is the story here. Now, Archie Bradley just went down. They're going to bring up JoJo Romero. So that, that will hurt. And I still don't feel comfortable with Hector Norris closing out games. Um, so uh, the Philly bullpen let them down last year. It's early, okay? We're, we're not even 15 games into the season here. It's early, Tim. 
but the Philly bullpen looks much improved. I just don't think it lasts. I don't think you could continue to keep going to this bullpen and think it's going to perform like this. And that will eventually be the downfall of Philly because of exactly what they are. And that is a team that just doesn't have enough pitching. Now, I've been on Zach Eflin. You know that. You're in some fantasy leagues with me. You know, I picked him up everywhere. And I think the one-two, Aaron Nola is my Cy Young Award winner. You give me Nola and Eflin one-two, you got some combination. I just don't trust this bullpen. As far as Atlanta goes, I think they're the class of this division. I was stunned, stunned that people were kind of sleeping on Atlanta. And we talked about it. We had a phone call, and we talked about the Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves there and the Atlanta Braves and what they are and the, the feeling around the town that, oh, you know what, maybe people are overlooking the Braves. I didn't doubt it for a minute. And, again, you're going to have to convince me a lot more when you have the arms that they're able to throw, the lineup that they're able to throw. Atlanta, to me, has that challenge, and I know you feel the same way, that challenge of just saying, you know what, we can match up with any team in the league, and yeah, I'm including the Dodgers. Let's move to the Central, Tom, and we'll start with team you know well, the Pittsburgh Pirates. We knew they were going to be bad. Um, actually, they just won two straight from the Cubs to put them at three and six, but they were sitting with a, with a ugly number one there heading into the Saturday game. Look, the Pirates are young. Rebuilding, same, same old, same old every year, right, Tom? And, and this is what we're going to get. They're going to be uh, out of every ten games. They're going to win four. And it wasn't long ago that the Pittsburgh Pirates had a team with, or you know, an organization with Garrett Cole, Jamison Tyon, <laughs> uh, Musgrove, right, and then in yeah. the outfield, Starling Marte, Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, you could go on and on. This team develops talent. They draft well. They develop well. And then when the talent gets good, they, they jettison them. And they'll wind up, uh, you know, the minute somebody starts playing well, look, this guy, Burback, looks pretty good. He'll, he'll look good in the Yankee uniform in about five years, right? I mean, that's just the mentality of the team. They won't spend. They don't deserve to win because you don't deserve to win if you're an owner that doesn't spend. With that said, look, the Pirates are probably going to be the worst team in the league, but I didn't have them losing 105 games, which was the betting number on, on the number. I just think it's hard to lose that many games, and I do think that their division is relatively weak. They're going to win a couple of games here, Tim, on just on pure stuff because they got some guys that can throw some stuff. Look, it's not going to put it all together at once. But we talked about it last night when I said, you know, who's the next closer going to be? Is it going to be Richard Rodriguez? Well, you're going to Pittsburgh. You're going to grab him. The guy's got talent, right? He could pitch. He's going to be there in Pittsburgh for at least a little while. They develop. They're young. They're going to continue to lose games. I can see them not losing 100 games. Maybe that's the nicest thing I could say about the Pirates. Well, they did beat the Cubs today and yesterday. And Chicago, Tom, you know, very popular franchise, of course, 4-5 and five now after the, losing the series to the Pirates. problem in uh, Chicago, what I see is two of your four wins come from Jake Arrieta, who's on the other side of, of the mid-30s. Got zero wins coming out of Hendricks so far. And with an offense that has Bryant and Rizzo, and Baez, they produced just 26 runs in nine games so far. Cubs are in a bad way. And when I told you guys my predictions, and I, one of my biggest preseason predictions, my biggest preseason prediction was that the Cardinals were going to win the Central, and the Cardinals were really going to have a really good year. A lot of that had to do with the fact that they were in the league with the Reds, who I didn't believe long-term with. I think that they're going to still fall off the map. We'll get to them in a minute. The Pirates. They're in a, a division with the Cubs, who I thought was going to be down. And the Cubs, oh, what do they have? Look, you mentioned Baez 
and Rizzo and Bryant. Bryant, look, I know he's a Las Vegas guy, massively, massively overrated. He came into the league. He had his year where he looked good. Since then, this guy has been completely overrated. I mean, Chris Wynn just wrote us and told us Bryce Harper's, you know, the most overrated guy in baseball. I couldn't agree more. Uh, but Bryant's right there. Bryant is not a star player. He is a, a good number two, three type of player. But they don't have that star guy. Rizzo was that, that star guy three, four years ago. And even when he was, he's a more consistent bat. I still like Rizzo. I still think Rizzo can hit 30 home runs, driving 100 RBIs. But he's that, that secondary guy. Brian is that secondary, maybe that third bat in a competitive team. Baez lifted them up when he had his MVP year. But we all saw all the holes in Baez's game. He's completely out of control the way that he plays the game. Uh, he leads to him to be a more of a 260 hitter than anything else. So you have a bunch of guys on this team that they had their moment. And it was a great moment, don't get me wrong. But you had that even on the offensive side, and you're going, who's the man now? Who is the guy in that lineup that scares you? I mean, Rizzo's a nice player. Bryant's an okay player. None of, them, none of these guys are making an all-star team. And just think about that. I didn't say MVP did. It's an all-star team. Bryant, Rizzo, Bryant, they're not making an all-star team. I, right now, this is almost Ian's happy team, isn't it? I mean, has it really come to that where this is what we're looking at? And on the, the pitching side, you're right. Their starting pitching is old. It doesn't look very good. Kimbrell looks good, but getting to Kimbrell, we're looking at Rowan Wick and stuff. I mean, come on. The Cubs mailed it in this year, and you can't convince me differently. You know, touch on Brian real quick. He's uh, in a contract year, Tom. So is this a situation that, that maybe, maybe just a change of scenery will do him better? Maybe a shift to the American League? I mean, maybe, Tim, but uh, look. I read scouting reports, and when, when Chris Bryant came out, all I continued to hear about Chris Bryant was, you know, he's got some power. This is a guy that um, will struggle to be consistent, to make consistent contact. He's got a lot of holes in his swing. He's a big, tall guy. Was he 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six, and he's going to strike out a lot and kind of have a low average. Comes into the league, you know, threatened 300, I think, the first year, the second year after that. In the last couple of years, you know, he's, he's been down, and his home runs, you could live with that if he's hitting the 40 bombs. What do you get, 40 bombs, uh, or very close to 40 You could live with that if he's hitting 40 bombs. But he turns around, and he's hitting less than 30. So now, all of a sudden, Chris Bryant isn't a 40 home run, you know, 280 hitter, 290 hitter at 40 home runs. Oh, that, that's MVP quality. All of a sudden, he's a 30 home run, 275 hitter. All right, again, that's a nice player. It's a fine player. On a team like the New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Atlanta Braves, that's your fourth or fifth best hitter. Anthony Rizzo is the same kind of guy, right? I mean, you look at Rizzo and and Bryant and their stats combined. Look at what they are. These guys are, let's give them, let's give Bryant, I'm going to be favorable and give Bryant a 280. 30 home runs, 280. That's a nice player. Not hitting, not driving in a hundred. And what about what about Rizzo? What is Rizzo now? Rizzo is a low thirties, high twenties, more likely twenty seven, twenty eight home runs. Maybe he'll get a hundred RBIs. Maybe he's about that two eighty hitter or so. I mean, this is who these guys are. They are on the Cubs, big names because of Chicago, big names because they have a title, big names because of the players that they used to be. Neither one of these guys are young guys. Rizzo's on the wrong side of thirty. 
Brian's coming up to his 30th uh, birthday, and I don't want to hear, watch them turn it around anymore. These guys are secondary players, and you need that big-time star. Rizzo's not making an all-star team this year. Brian's not making an all-star team this year. Baez's not making an all-star team this year. And if it wasn't for Kimbrell and my belief that this guy could turn his career back around, I'm going to say they won't have an all-star this year. I mean, that's how strongly I feel about the Cubs just having a bad year. If you look at the three Vegas guys, three Vegas boys that grew up together, played club, club ball together, Harper obviously would be number one. Um, so you mentioned Brian's stats. Is Joey Gallo, in your opinion, number two over Brian? I mean, Gallo hit 42 seasons in a row, got injured, of course, in 2019, and then last year with the reduced season. But, you know, so you're going to get the 40 bombs capability out of Gallo, but you're also getting that 210 batting average. Yeah, I like Gallo. I, I've, I've liked Gallo for a while, but I like Gallo, Tim. I like him because he's, he is underrated. If I start putting him up against Bryant, you know, Bryant's a better overall player. And I think, I don't, I don't want to say that that's a, a knock on Gallo, because I do like Gallo. As a hitter, yeah, I mean, you know, you know what you're going to get in Joey Gallo. I'll take the shot that Joey Gallo doesn't hit 180, and he gets to 250, because he gets to 250, He's going to throw, you know, throw out 40 home runs and 90 RBIs. Those are numbers that they're gone for Brian. He's not doing that anymore. Brian's not hitting 40 anymore. Brian's not getting to 100 RBIs anymore. Now, the average obviously brings it down massively. What I, what I like, though, is that I think Gallo could take a walk. But, yeah, overall, Chris Bryant, when he jumped onto the scene, if you remember, Tim, one of the biggest things about Chris Bryant when he jumped onto the scene was, oh, he could play a million positions, right? He played third. He was playing uh, oh, you can throw him at short, you can throw him at first, you can throw him in the outfield. Now he's, you know, he's a third baseman. He's not a very good defensive third baseman. He's not bad, he's mediocre. Um, but his overall game, he's got more speed than Gallo. I'll take, I'll take Brian over Gallo, but it's close. And I'll tell you what, you know who's, the, who's uh, the, the best Vegas guy right now? Amir Gary has turned things around, man. This kid looks fantastic if you look at uh, uh, what he's been able to do. So we were talking in the preview show for Major League Baseball, how you said that the Cubs at the deadline will start shedding, shedding the dead weight, and obviously with Bryant being in the contract year, you see him gone come August. Yeah, I think he has to go. You know, you look at what the Cubs are doing, and they're just telling everybody, look, we're getting rid of guys. You know, these guys are on the block. We have old expiring contracts. Look at, look at their starting pitching. Look at even their relievers. They're building this up for, okay, we're going to start jettisoning guys out of here. Kyle Hendricks, probably not going to be a guy on the move, but you know what? He's probably not part of our plans long-term for the next cycle here. Chris Bryant, certainly not part of the plans next term, but they also still have to worry about selling out Wrigley. Now, you don't during a pandemic, but that was their mentality. Uh, look, we still got to worry about selling out Wrigley. I think they want to get rid of Baez. Bryant's been at odds with management for a long time there. He's, he's that guy. Um, he wants to, wants to go somewhere else. And look, his bat will play, but it'll play the way that I just told you. His bat will play for a contender where he slots in as that second or third bat. He's not going to, you know, I heard about people going, oh, he's going to San Francisco. Why is he going to San Francisco? He becomes the same thing in San Francisco that he was for the Cubs. You know, that's exactly who he becomes. You push him on the Mets, let's just, I'm just giving you a hypothetical here. I don't think he lands on the Mets, but you push him on the Mets, 
all of a sudden, all right, you're not Alonzo in the middle of the order. You're not Lindor, the big name here. You're just a guy. That, that works, right? That absolutely works. You look at a, a, a team going down a, a little bit further, uh, you know, take a look at a team. Um, you know, what about, uh, what about uh, a Boston Red Sox? You know, I know they're not going to push Devers out there, but all right, you got Devers, you got J.D. Martinez, you come in here, you're another guy. You know, if, the, if he wound up finding his way on the Yankees, you're not going to be Glaber Torres, D.J. LeMahieu, Aaron Judge, even Giancarlo. You're going to be the fourth or fifth best option. He needs a team like that because Chris Bryant's game is not good enough to be a superstar anymore. Chris Bryant's game is not good enough to be an all-star anymore, but he can be a useful guy for the right team. Right. He's not going to San Francisco, a team that's uh, trying to rebuild and then you know they're not re-signing him. He's gonna he's gonna test the free agency. It's his first shot at it, and might be his only shot at getting a big contract. Tom, he's he's definitely going yeah, to contender. And look, in August. let's look around Too the league here, Tim. Let's just have a little fun for a minute. Find me the team that needs a, you know a third baseman that will spend for next year. Because if you're gonna trade for the guy, you, you got to think that you're gonna sign him. You know, Yankees don't need him. Okay, um, Boston has Devers. They don't need him. Nobody else in that division is gonna spend. You got the White, so- White Sox will spend. Well, they got Moncada. I don't think they're going to go get their cross rival guy. Hey, you know, and the Cubs won't trade with them there. Cleveland's getting rid of people. Minnesota, well, they took a shot at Donaldson. Minnesota makes some sense, but are they going to spend on that contract? I don't think so. Kansas City doesn't spend. Uh, Detroit's not going to spend. So now you go to Houston. Houston's got Bregman. They don't need him. You guys got Rendon in, in Anaheim, right? You don't need him there. Oakland won't spend. They got Chapman, the best defensive third baseman. So then you look at, is, is a Seattle going to go spend? Yeah, I mean, he kind of fits with Seattle. It makes a lot of sense, but they're not going to trade for him because they're not going to be in this thing. Texas isn't going to go out there. They might spend again. They, they might lay the money down for Chris Bryant, but they're not going to go trade. So the American League is out. You get rid of the entire National League Central because they're not going to trade to a contender there, and they really don't need him. St. Louis is the only team that would make the, the shot. Maybe Milwaukee, but you're going to give them to Milwaukee? Absolutely not. Dodgers certainly don't need them. So here we go. Who are we looking at? You're looking at San Diego or the team from the East. You think San Diego is going to spend on Chris Bryant? I, I just I, I don't see that being a reality-based situation that San Diego is going to go spend on Chris Bryant. So here we go into the East. You know the Marlins aren't going to spend. Okay. The Braves, the Phillies, maybe the Mets. you got about three teams, right? I, I mean, that is that what we're looking at with the Chris Bryant market, that there's basically maybe three teams that will spend for him. And I'm not sure the Mets will do it anymore either. So, uh, you know, Philly, Atlanta, is this what we're looking at? Philly, Atlanta with an outside shot at the Mets? Where do you see him landing, Tim? Washington's not going to do it, right? I, I think he could fit in Washington. I think he's an upgrade over Castro, but I but don't know if they're going to spend trade from Washington's windows closed. Are they going to trade for a Chris Bryant? And then sign him. I, I don't. I don't expect that to happen. No, no. Uh, if they were in, if I would say, I would say more. It's more of a case of it's going to be a team that's in in the chase come August, and um, they're going to add him just for the stretch run with no intention of signing him long term. I think that's where it's probably going to go. Yeah, you know what? We're we're in an age right now, Tim, where <laughs> third basemen are pretty plentiful. And, you know, I, I hate to decrease Chris Bryant's trade market, but that's the reality. I think he's going to the NL East. Unless you see a team like, you know, 
like, like the Yankees maybe taking a shot just uh, because Gio Urcella is injured. There's no injury here, okay, because we can't predict injuries. If there's no injury, you know, you, you have maybe Atlanta, if Austin Riley doesn't kind of fit the bill for you anymore. Maybe Philly. You know, if you really want to take a stab at Philly, all right, maybe you can take a shot at Philly. And maybe the Mets open up their pocket. It's basically Chris Bryant's trade market is reliant upon an injury, and his free agency market is almost solely going to be from the NL East. The, the more I think about it, Minnesota does seem like ideal, right, Tom? They're in the, they're in the, they're going to be there in the in the race come come the summertime. And Donaldson's always injured. Um, he can play the outfield, so you could put him out and left if you need to. Obviously, Cruz ties up the DH spot, but I could see the Twins making some type of a move like that. Yeah, I mean, the Twins are the only American League team I could kind of, you know, swallow that situation. Seattle knows that they're moving on from Seager. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. He seems like, uh, you know, Seattle would be a fine situation for him. Yeah, Minnesota and the teams from the East. Look, San Diego's not getting them, even though, you know, you know they're going to make a push. And I think San Francisco in the offseason, they might make a push for a guy like this, right? Are you moving? If you're Philadelphia, I keep saying Philly, by the way. I keep saying it because Alec Bohm, obviously, um, was playing first base. But you're not moving out Bohm. So, you know what? Let's cross out Philly. I, I don't even know why I, I put him there. J.D. Davis in New York is good, but he's on the injured reserve. Uh, they were playing Jeff McNeil there. The Mets are still in play. I just don't know if they want to spend that money. Minnesota's in play. Donaldson's always hurt. I think it's down to two teams and maybe three if you want to throw Atlanta. I see three teams. Mets, Atlanta, Minnesota. Those are your only options if you're Chris Bryant. That is a wide, eye-opening situation. Yeah, it's, it's uh, considering a couple years ago he was one of the hottest names, right? And, and you know, you bring up Seattle. That that is an interesting situation. If they can sign him long term, it gives them a, a a name, I guess, or a face to build around with all the youth. Because he could play first, he could play third, he could play the outfield. He's not going to play in the outfield, right? They have a lot. They already have Tramon Lewis, the youth there. Seager's on on the other side of the hill. He could he could slot in there and maybe tie in at DH and first base as well. But that's only if they can sign him long term, Tommy, and then use him. Uh, as a marketing tool. So one other team I'm going to throw in there for his free agency, Tim, is your Baltimore Orioles, right? I mean, you, you, you guys are rolling out uh, <laughs> Mikhail Franco as your third <laughs> baseman. I don't know if the Orioles are ready to kind of make that move, but you start to see what the Orioles are kind of putting together. Ryan Mountcastle, uh, yeah, they're starting to put that together, you know. Um, it was good to see Trey Mancini come back. All right, you start to put that together. They're going to bring up, uh, obviously, the young catcher, number one overall. They're going to bring up uh, Rushman. He's coming up. All of a sudden, you throw in a Chris Bryant there. Not a lot of pressure in Baltimore. I could see the Orioles doing something like that. And, and truthfully, Tom, right, when you're rebuilding, that's how you do it. You bring the youth in, and you start surrounding them with not over-the-hill veterans, but, but guys that – maybe aren't in the prime of their career or at the prime statistically. And if you slotted him in that lineup with Mancini and with, with Rutschman coming up and Mountcastle and Santander, it, you know, he kind of fits in there, doesn't he? Yes, he does. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he makes a lot of sense there. 
no pressure on him. Come in, just be Chris Bryant, uh, kind of teach these kids. All right, let's play a game here, Tim. Okay, and I want to hear from you guys. 876-1340, 876-1340. Hit us up on Twitter, at Tom Barton Sports or at HW Sports. Um, and, Chris, you're not allowed to say Detroit because they're not spending on him. Although he kind of fits in Detroit. But, all right, Tim, I'm going to ask you, where will Chris Bryant be playing on September 1st? And where will Chris Bryant be playing on April 1st next year? September 1, Minnesota. April 1, I, I, I'm buying what you're selling. Put him in a bird's uniform. All right. I'm going to say, look, I'm going to say that the New York Mets go and pull a New York Mets. And that is go and get something that they don't necessarily need. Overspend, bid against themselves for something they don't necessarily need. Mets fans go crazy. They start drooling about the prospects of, of having Chris Bryant out there. Um, it makes some sense to me. So I'm going to say Chris Bryant, both times, New York Mets is, is the place that I think he's going to. Yeah. You're right, that is a total Mets move, and it generally never works out well, does it? I, and I'd rather have J.D. Davis at this point in his career. You got the Braves, or excuse me, you got the Brewers and the Cardinals, Tom, they just wrapped up a three-game set, and the Brew Crew uh, just pounded the cards the last two games, putting up 18 runs. Both teams are 5-4 and four right now, and again, we're nine games into the year, Tom, you know, there's going to be separation. We both like the Cardinals, obviously, to win this division, but... Uh, just your thoughts as we begin week three with St. Louis and Milwaukee. Look, the Brewers are terrifying to anyone going into a short series with them. Woodruff yes. and Burns are legit one-two in this league. Okay, You have Hader closing it out. Devin Williams, look, by, by the way, Devin Williams has already given up more runs this year than he did all last year. Um, they, they have some things that you like. But at the end of the day, the back end of Adrian Hauser, Brett Anderson, and Freddie Peralta, and your relief pitching of Eric Yardley, uh, Josh Lidbrown, Drew Rasmussen, Brett Suter to get to, you know, Hater, it's just not going to last. And, and what I do is I'm pulling up Milwaukee. Here's what you got on Milwaukee. Backup catcher Jacob Nottingham, uh, IL. Starting second baseman Colton Wong, IL. Center fielders, Tim Lopez and, and Derek Fisher, I.L. Jackie Bradley's banged up. Christian Yelich left the game banged up. Travis Shaw left the game banged up. Kestin Hura, their new first baseman, was benched from inactivity. I mean, this can't, it can't last. They have a tremendous one-two punch. Their offense is banged up and hurting, and they don't look good when they're healthy. And, look, their starting pitching can get them through a little bit. I think Milwaukee is a paper tiger here. You know, with the Cardinals, Tom, and we might as well just put on uh, our preview show and let that play out as so far as how the season has gone. So coming into the game Saturday, the Cardinals had something like a 12-run differential, more runs scored than against. After today's game, so two games were played, they're now a negative five, and we determined that on, look, we get through the first two or three in the rotation, but the back end is terrible. And we saw that with Martinez and, and uh, Ponce de Leon just get hammered this weekend. You know, this looks like an ongoing issue for the, for the Cardinals this year, but their offense is going to be good enough that they're going to win some of those games and ultimately they'll win the division. Yeah, this is going to be a battle of really who cleans up on the garbage teams better. Is it going to be Milwaukee or is it going to be St. Louis? I think that the St. Louis Cardinals are one player away, one pitcher away from really scaring people. Now, you got to remember, 
Kim was supposed to be their number three, not Carlos Martinez. Kim was supposed to be the three. He's injured. Miles Mikolas is supposed to be in this rotation. He's injured. So you, you can have a little leeway. I think the Cardinals are that team, though, that they are really one player away, and that pitcher doesn't have to be an ace. Go get them a number three type of guy. Flaherty is a one. Wainwright's been pitching like a two. Go get them a number three type guy, and I think that they run away with this thing because they will make that move. And the Reds will begin week three in first place, six and three. Tom, they put 66 runs so far on the season, but the Diamondbacks got them the last two nights. They've only, they only put up three runs in this past, uh, the last two games. So they had 63 runs coming into the Saturday action. They beat up the Pirates. They beat up the Cardinals. What about the Reds? Yeah, listen, I like it. I, I like their offense. It's okay. I don't believe, you know, Nick Castellanos is an MVP candidate. I don't believe that Suarez moving over to shortstop is going to hit another 40 bombs. I don't believe that Moustakis is suddenly going to be three, become a 300 hitter. But I like it. Tyler Stevenson is a guy I've been on for years. He should be starting every day. They're trying to split time with Tucker Barnard. This is about the pitching, though. Wade Miley, he looks good as a spot starter. Tyler Molly, he looks good as a spot starter. Anybody buying in, though, that these guys are going to be able to last? And again, this is the beauty of baseball. And this is why last year really was kind of a farce to most of us is because the beauty of baseball is that this is a long haul. And I'm looking at their starting pitch and I'm going, Wade Miley, I don't, I, forget about, you know, pitching like a number two. I don't know if you're going to be in the rotation come August. I don't know if Tyler Molly is going to be in the rotation come August. I know Sonny Gray is banged up, but I don't know if these guys are going to be in the rotation. You look at a guy like Sean Doolittle um, in the bullpen, I don't know if he's going to be on the team. I, I'm not sure that he's going to be on the team, Tim, right? So there's a lot of these type of guys on this um, where early on, sure, I could see them having a little success. Over the course of 162, I've yet to see Nick Senzel even play, even relatively close to that. Jesse Winker is always banged up. Uh, the moving Suarez to shortstop, I think, comes back and bites them. This guy's played third base for the last how many years in a row. Mustaka's being jumbled all around. He's second baseman, then he was first baseman, now he's third baseman. Their defense has problems. Their starting pitching has starting pitching depth problems. They can hit the long ball, Tim, but over 162, I think they're going to fade. Now, they're a team that, that has some depth there in the, in the minor league system. Are they players at a deadline situation? I think, they, I think they are players, but, Tim, I think they're sellers. I think you go out there and you get anything you can. Someone will pay a king's ransom for Luis Castillo, and I think that's what, exactly what's going to happen. Look, you don't go out there and get rid of Trevor Bauer and Ray Dale Iglesias and tell me you're going to try to compete this year, right? I mean, right. we know these guys are on the market. There are certain guys on the market, and these two starting pitchers can bring it out. Sonny Gray, I think people have problems with. He is injured now. He's shown that he fizzled out in New York, so that takes a bitter away. Uh, but Luis Castillo is that name. He's that guy that when you're talking about trades, Tim, and we've been talking about NFL trades and the, the ridiculous haul you could get back, think about the haul that the Cincinnati Reds would be able to get back for a guy like Luis Castillo. I mean, you are talking about the elite of elite minor league players. So I do believe that if a team is close and teams might need that extra starting pitching. And it won't be the Dodgers, and we're not talking about San Diego. But we're talking about the big boys. 
the Chicago White Sox, the New York Yankees, the Houston Astros, your L.A. Angels, those are four teams that I believe will absolutely empty the bank to go get a guy like Luis Castillo. And you put Luis Castillo on any one of those four teams, they're thinking not only to get to, but win a World Series. He's that kind of difference maker. Yeah, I could see a guy like Mustakas also being moved. He seems to be a bat that teams want down the stretch. And, and uh, you know, he jumps around a little bit. KC, obviously. So I, I could see him going, too. I could see him quite a few of these guys. I mean, Suarez, like I said, he was their third baseman. Uh, you know, big-time contract, huge contract, moves all over to shortstop. That, that, that just makes him a little bit uh, better for the trade market. We know about Amir Garrett, Lucas Sims. If Sean Doolittle has any kind of success, they'll go get rid of him. Remember, middle relievers, they love these middle reliever guys. Look, Wade Miley. I just said it. I don't know if he's going to be on this team. You know, why would you not kind of try to go get rid of him now? We have, they have in center field, Senzo, Naquin, Aquino, Akiyama. They got four guys that are basically sitting the bench when you're talking about Winkler and Castellanos. Those are bats right there. They may not be number one guys, but they, those are bats right there. And Cincinnati, like you said, they have a decent farm system to say, you know, all right, it didn't work out. Let's go just, just absolutely get this ridiculous farm system, combine them with the guys that we have now. I just start to think about what kind of insane return they could get for you know some of these players. Mustakas, Suarez aren't going to net a lot back. But you start dangling a Castillo or a Gray, oh, I, I just – Look, let's remember that uh, Jared Kelnick was traded for Robinson Cano, basically, and, and Edwin Diaz. You know, come on. They could go get a massive player. Tom Barton, Tim Ungles, B Heatwave Sports, Sunday night. We're going to wrap up Hour 1. Coming up in Hour 2, we'll move over to the AL Central and get Tom's thoughts on the first two weeks over there. We both have, of course, the White Sox winning, but we'll talk about that in hour two. All-Star game, big topic. Loving, love to hear Tom's thoughts on this one in hour two. And we're going to look at some of the college basketball coaching changes that happened. A lot of big, big schools changing the the, uh, the head guy there. We'll talk about those openings, and, or not openings, and the guys that have signed there and the new replacements, including those in Texas and North Carolina in hour two as well. He Web Sports, Fox Sports Radio. We're back after this. 